Hello, and welcome to the Mint Gold Dust Podcast. My name is Peter Sparacino, and today we're talking to the immensely creative artist Ben Snell. Ben constructs and implements computation and code in his art in a manner that is all his own. He crafted his sculpture Dio by first training an AI program with tens of thousands of images of selected art. The AI learned from those images and modeled its own sculpture based upon that learned experience. Ben then pulverized the actual computer that generated the sculpture, creation is a messy process, and used those pieces to build the actual physical sculpture. With Mint Goldust head curator Eleanor Brizzi and myself, in this episode we talked to Ben about his singular and uniquely focused artistic drive and perspective. Hi everybody, uh, today we have Ben Snell and I'm so happy to have him here. I have been knowing Ben for a while now. I'm just um, personally very happy to have this conversation with him and to have him um, on Mingle Dust and on the podcast. Um, so Ben, um, there are not many people I think that I could talk about uh, what we will discuss today um, in such a beautiful way as we will do with Ben. And really, like I couldn't think of a better person to have um, a conversation with uh, when it comes to art and technology. Um, and um, lately, we keep hearing about art and tech uh, many times, uh, but there's still many doubts around it. And I think that you are the perfect artist to explain this uh, magic encounter of these two worlds, um, since you have been doing this for a long time. And so we have the pleasure of asking you, what does this uh, art and tech mean for you and for your art? Well, thank you so much for having me. Um, it's a pleasure. Uh, and uh, yeah, so art and tech. Um, yeah, you say I've been doing this for a long time. I guess I have. I think I, I started this kind of blend of art and tech, seeking the sort of fertile ground between art and science, maybe in 2013, so maybe, I don't know, eight years ago, which is crazy, but I've always been a very creative person. Art always comes first for me, you know, and I think when we think about technology or when I think about technology, I don't just think about the phones or the computers we use, but I think about the spoon that I use for my cereal today. And my spoon is a piece of technology that we've invented to help us do something, you know, and in the same way that a computer can be a piece of technology, a tool that I use to help create my art. So too can the camera be a piece of technology and the paintbrush. And so art and tech has been around for a very long time, not just back to the 60s, but but millennia, you know. And so I, I just like to posit the the the, hype, you know, the hypothesis here that that art and tech is nothing new. What's what you you, you speak to a sort of um, you speak to doubts, that there exists some kind of doubts with respect to art and technology. And, and I, I think the doubts today aren't so much about the um, the validity of the art itself as they are an unfamiliarity with the tools that are used to create the art and where it is, where the distinction is between the artists and the tools that they use, because the tools themselves can have so much agency to them. And just a couple nights ago, I, you know, one of my friends was in from out of town and um, and she asked me what NFTs are. I'm like, well, <laughs> you know, I'll explain oh, well. it as best as I can, but I am not an expert. I'm definitely not an expert here. And 
and, and the fact that they confuse me, that, that the blockchain can still confuse me, that AI can still confuse me, I think is a testament to the complexity of the tools that have become ubiquitous. And let alone, you know, trying to explain something like this to my mom, it's, it's really a lack of fluency that I think creates this unfamiliarity and this fear of art and technology more than it is a discounting of its validity as art because it is a form of expression. Um, and I, I think for me, you, you speak to the sort of mysticism and this magic between art and science. And I, I think for me, at a very superficial level, there's this intrigue, this mysticism, this beauty to the work that I make. And it's important that it, it is able to stand on its own. One, one level deeper, deeper, I see it as not just an opportunity to express myself, an opportunity to be beautiful in its own right, but an opportunity to tell stories and an opportunity to, to understand excuse me, technology on a deeper level um, and to learn more about our humanity at the deepest levels, to understand this distinction between nature and nurture. So I think art and tech for me, you know, my work isn't necessarily always about tech, but it does utilize technology and a digital fabric weaves through it. And I think it's in those spaces in that fertile ground where there are a lot of new questions that haven't been asked yet. And so, I, you know, I hope that sort of answers your question. But um, the, the work that I'm excited about today is, is it's really about going into nature in order to find my own nature. It's about this, this idea that technology can change our perspective of the world and our environments through a collaboration in the act of seeing in creating new auras and in, in participating in this exercise in stillness and in regeneration. And um, yeah, I, I think, you know, art and science have always been magical to me, but they ha I haven't always, you know, seen them working in concert until in, in the last couple of years, but it's nothing, it's nothing new. <laughs> People describe artists as a painter or a sculptor. So when some, someone comes across you, they can't exactly put you in a box. You're basically forging a new path of expression, like you said. So it's people can't place you in a box, which is very difficult for people sometimes. Yeah, and exciting. I mean, I, I feel like I am an artist before a technologist and a sculptor before a new media artist and a, a drawer before an, a, a generative artist. But, but to your point, with like, let's take my sculptures, for example, right? The sculptures conceptually are quite complex and half the people that I explain them to think they're bullshit and they think that I'm a serial killer of computers. And then half the people that I talk to are, are amazed by it and had never thought of something like that before. And so just as there are critics and lovers of, of every artist throughout history, so too does there exist this dichotomy with this this new kind of art that, that isn't really new. But I, I don't think that, you know, yes, some of the tools that we're using are new, but the questions that we're asking are the same. And I think that's how people, I'd like people to connect with my work before they see it as a novelty or a spectacle, you know, that I'm asking questions about my own nature and about the influence, like what it means to be born from code. What does that mean? You know, plenty of people have asked questions about that in the past albeit in different ways that are maybe less intimidating, you know, not using a $5,000 computer, you know, that, that people may not have access to or discrete, you know, graphics processing units, you know, so 
Um, I, I do hope my work, work is accessible. And when it, when it ceases to be accessible, then I, I think I've failed as an artist. I'm, I'm curious, is there one, uh, one generative moment when art and code, that's, that's something, you know, where you saw the link between the two and saw something you could build on? Um, yeah, you know, I think I was in a, a residency at Autodesk a couple of years ago, and it was in that moment when I was working so intently with my hands and with materials, with woods and plastics and metals, that I, that I began to ask more questions about the materiality of computation. And I think that's where I began forging a new path for myself, asking questions that hadn't been asked before. And that's where uh, projects like the sculptures ha had been born, uh, you know, metaphorically and literally. So I, I can't pinpoint an exact moment, but I, I do feel like working in ways that are... It's always in the back of your mind. Yeah, it's, it's always been in the back of my mind. I mean, I grew up, my mom, you know, taught architecture and, and she was an architect and my grandfather was a painter. My great grandfather was a jeweler. So this, this creativity and this duality between the arts and the sciences has always been present and finding my own path forward means utilizing the tools that are contextual, that are relevant today, you know, in the same way that, you know, maybe my great grandfather cut diamonds or, or gems in a different way because of new tools that were available. That's no different than what I do today. It's no more novel, no less novel. It's no less important, no more important. Um, and I, I do, I, I feel a great humility to the tools and the space and the context in which we reside culturally, socially, societally. Very fascinating as usual. I like that you said that this is nothing new. Uh, I totally agree. And I'm always so, I, the more that I learn, even about like the crypto art space, the digital art space, art and technology, and the more that I understand that it really is like a continuum, uh, just, uh, you know, developing in time, uh, same thing with just uh, different language and different tools, nothing has ever changed. Uh, just back then, something else was contemporary, and now something like some new tools are contemporary. I I will say one thing, which is I think sometimes people get caught up in the the novelty and the spectacle of the technology, and sometimes forget that art is from the human. It's a story that's being told by a human. And as much as people say, right. my computer made a piece of art, that doesn't, that, that's not true. That's <laughs> just false. You know, it's, yeah, it's like fun for the moment. It gets a good headline, you know, it's, it's good clickbait. But art today is still a story that is an intimate personal story that's told by a human. And what that human has to say about their place in the world and their relationship and their empathy toward technology is arguably more important than the spectacle of the output. So it's sort of like this preference for process over product. And Ben, so you, uh, well, one of the interesting parts of this conversation is that you are new to the crypto art space. So you somehow are getting to use uh, new technology in your practice, which is the blockchain. So you were mentioning that um, someone asked you about NFTs. Uh, so um, I know, because we have been talking about this, uh, that you also have concerns about the space, which is good. Uh, so it means that you thought about it and you're not coming in with just, okay, I want to make NFTs, you know? So I really appreciate that. But like, it's very interesting for us who um, often deal with artists who are already in the crypto art space to get 
the opinions and point of view of someone who is coming uh, to the NFT space. Because again, you your art is very digital. I know that you will say that it's also very physical, but like you you are you're not new to technology. But like, what are your concerns, and also what does excite you about the crypto art space and the technology behind it? So the NFTs. Yeah, it's that's a great question. Um, some of my excitements and and my intrigue, you know, for the space are, are quite practical. I think as someone who usually makes physical things, some of the work that I began to make recently is inherently digital and that makes it difficult to share and it makes it difficult to sell. You know, and we can talk about this a little bit more, but say for example, one has a video, right? And they'd like to sell that video. Well, how can they ensure that the person to whom they're selling it doesn't copy it and distribute it, you know, or use it for their own purposes? And it's, um, in the same way that like if somewhere, if I were to sell a sculpture, they can't just reproduce the sculpture because it, its materiality is inextricably intertwined with its form, right? And so I think there's a really interesting opportunity. And I think the blockchain and NFTs are, are on their way toward asking these questions in, in more meaningful ways about the, the material integrity of digital artifacts and their ability to accumulate auras. This is one of my excitements about NFTs is that in the act of minting a work, you allow it the opportunity to accumulate a history of its interactions. You can see who who's out bought it, and like you can see its provenance. You can see potentially memoirs, you know, or descriptions that people or collectors leave over time. These sorts of fingerprints. In the same way that an old piano, you can see where the piano player touched the keys because you see the ivory sort of worn down a little bit. At the bottom of your favorite coffee cup, you see the swirl of the spoon and the way it sort of etched its marks into the coffee cup. These sorts of auras and patinas, they, they exist in digital spaces, but I, I do really believe that digital artifacts oftentimes by their very nature, by, by the nature of the matter and the material they are made in, are sort of glossed over with this very thick varnish that repels the elements. And creating an NFT works against that. It, it gives it texture and it gives it a grit. It gives the, the ability to be seen and to be felt and to be understood as an object that is loved and appreciated and cared for. So that's one of my biggest excitements when it comes to NFTs. But sort of, you know, Practically speaking, it, it does give digital artifacts an opportunity to be uniquely identified and, and uniquely sold. And that is that is really important toward creating more sustainable models, which is, you know, it, it, it's it's really important. I, I, I'm glad you mentioned concerns because I, I am very much in many ways late to the game. The space is incredibly saturated and in some ways, maybe that lighten the load, lightens the load a little bit. You know, there's there's not as um, much pressure, but I have been very hesitant to embrace NFTs and cryptocurrency wholeheartedly. I've been asked for a long time to to put my stuff on the blockchain, and I've I've opposed it because I wasn't familiar with it. And I think even over the last year, I've had a lot of criticisms about the environmental impact of NFTs and a lot of concerns. And those concerns still exist. But I will say this, that taking, I appreciate wholeheartedly the transparency that creating work on the blockchain has. The fact that it is transparent 
is its Achilles heel, but it's also the greatest thing about it. And that transparency is not something that exists in the material world. You don't know how many aerosols and solvents and resins I've used to create my sculptures or how bad they are for the environment, but it makes me think twice about my own processes. And I think that's the best thing to come out of this. It is blockchain and, and, and cryptocurrencies as a, as a sort of mirror, a mirror that make us look unto ourselves, you know, our, and look at our own flaws and look at the ways in which we use material goods in the world and the ways in which we recycle our lack thereof. So this process of coming to terms with being comfortable with experimenting, just experimenting in the space has sort of shed new light on my own practices and made me more aware of my environmental impact, which I'm really thankful for. So I definitely have plenty of concerns, but um, and I, I'm not afraid to say that those concerns exist, but, but I'm excited to be asking some questions that I wouldn't be able to ask otherwise, and to be playing in the space that I have kept a distance from for a very long time intentionally. You know, and I, I feel like it's, I'm ready to begin asking those questions and ready to begin asserting a sort of agency over asking these questions and not being beholden to the expectations of others as much as I might admire them. Yeah, and um, uh, yeah, the I mean, uh, you mentioned transparency, and it's really uh, like a, a big factor in um, in the blockchain technology, and uh, so as a consequence in in the crypto art space. So, um, I mean, I'm very happy that you mentioned that because I we all agree with your concerns, but what you just said about like the at least um, we know about what's happening. I, I think that, that it's very important. And also, um, I wanted to say that I think that uh, for, for what concerns uh, the use of blockchain in the art world and in like, the art practice, I really think that we are just uh, scratching the surface, meaning that for now, it really is a system to, uh, of course, to like, um, you know, uh, authenticate and to sell and to trace to transparency to everything that we know. But like, um, I think that it's also a potential um, tool for um, art creation, meaning that probably uh, very soon, uh, you know, even for instance, the smart contracts could be applied in the actual making of the art like there's so much potential there that we really are just at the beginning of it's probably the last romantic part of the whole process now we're just using it for exchange right so ben i'm just curious given that you see some of the more utilitarian aspects of blockchain as raw clay are you going forward going to incorporate any of these into your art is that something that you um are thinking about because you obviously have a very technical background to implement this if you wish to do so. Yeah, I think there are, I, you know, it's, this is just the start. So, you know, one of the spaces that I'm looking forward to playing in is really understanding and, and utilizing the, the materiality, being honest with the materiality of, from which these, these artifacts and these tokens arise and, and working in a way that, 
more closely links their, say, the physical materiality of the objects that might be minted and the actual processes and workflows and, and th that happen on the back end. So I, I still feel like in some ways the act of minting or tokenization is somewhat arbitrary in, in linking almost through a sort of like a spirit and a mysticism the the artifact and its its representation as a unique item you know so there's this i i feel like there's some investigation to be had in that space and i know some people have explored you know say like including you know the token within the artwork and maybe even vice versa but it's a good question and i i'm looking forward to exploring more within that space within that space of materiality and, and what it means to create something that's not trying to be something that it's not. You know, you're not trying to create a digital right. artifact that, that's trying to be physical because in many ways, the act of minting something is taking something that's digital and trying to make it more physical because physical objects are inherently scarce. And now there's this push within the space to take digital artifacts, which are inherently not scarce and make them something that they aren't. And I, I think sort of being honest with that and and playing with that and understanding the integrity of the objects and the ability to stand on their own is important for me because that's a solved problem in the physical world but it's still unsolved within digital space for me emotionally that that's i i often ask myself this that question about nfts and it's like it's not very I mean, are we just um, betraying the nature of digital art, which for nature is ephemeral, and we just want to tokenize it? I do ask that question myself. So, yeah, I, I was, you know, we we've talked before about artists who create installations, installation artists, right? Who can't sell the installation? Because you can't sell a, a room that's the size of a football field unless you're James Terrell. <laughs> but, um, but what happens when you try to sell a token or a symbol, a symbol of that space and a symbol of the experience and the idea? And as I was preparing for, for this, this, uh, this podcast today, I was thinking maybe there is a way to disentangle the idea from the symbol within art and allow the symbol to remain what's what's sold and what's minted but but also a way to sort of um to keep the idea safe and sacred and i don't know what that looks like yet but arguably it, it could mean creating something in physical space that's transitory that's ephemeral and then creating persistent digital artifacts i i don't know it's I don't know. A lot of interesting questions to be asked here, but um, it, it's still it's sort of it's sort of like a mind fuck <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Trying to figure out, you know, the, the affordances, ways. I feel like we sort of have a lack of words for describing the relativity of realities and working across these two spaces, the digital and the physical. They both have different affordances, and and yet we're trying to use them in similar ways, which, to your point, may not be what's best. But, but it's worth exploring. So I'm I'm curious because I want to understand. It almost sounds like you're talking about art instead of like a 
physical thing. You're talking about transitory physical art, like more like art as a performance, not necessarily an artist makes something you buy, but it's something that you experience. And then, you know, here it is and there it's gone. I mean, is that kind of what you're describing? Yeah, I that? think that's yeah. that's pretty much it. The the work that I'll be, you know, showcasing on Mint Gold Dust is it's a performance piece, but what's going to be online is a video. And so in some ways, the video is a symbol or a token of the performance, of shedding light onto my environment, of going into nature to find my nature, of, of putting this little teeny sun in the forest and allowing it to, to give its warmth into the world. And so in many ways, maybe I need to see the performance and the raw data that's captured through that process as the idea, as the art, as the ideal, and as something that cannot be sold that has no monetary value because it's priceless. And then considering the videos and the artifacts, the expressions of that performance as art, but as symbols first, as something that can be monetized. Because, you know, I, I we talk a lot about sustainability, or I've thought a lot about sustainability in arts practices, you know, and it's, it's hard to be a sustainable artist. And one of the most interesting things about this space is the ability for some artists certainly to be more sustainable than they were previously, um, or most artists rather. And I think when it comes to sustainability, it, when you think about sustainability, it comes down to a question of one's value and inherent worth. You know, collectively, we uphold this idea of art as expression. Art is expression, it's one's expression, you know, and it's sacred. For me, art is always an inquiry, and it's always the sacred, intimately personal practice, an inquiry into the human experience. The act of assigning monetary value to this idea or to the performance or the object that symbolizes this idea of such profound significance, you know, can be disheartening and deceiving. So I, I think to that extent, ideas are priceless, and the act of assigning this value, monetary value, tells a lie, a lie that my idea is worth no more than that set amount. But at the same time, we live in a society where art making is not as valued as it once was, where it is impossible to be financially sustainable, even if you are a big artist. So there's this question of sustainability, not just financially, but emotionally and creatively. How do you make it possible for others to support you emotionally and creatively? And I think this, what we're talking about here of the separation of the idea and the symbol is potentially one idea for me to be emotionally sustainable by recognizing that the the art that I make, some of the art that I make can be priceless and it can be sacred because it cannot be sold, but some of it can also be sold. So there's there's this internal struggle that I am currently and probably forever will be grappling with about what it means to sell a piece of art, you know, but it's an important question to be asking. Yeah, I love that way of thinking about it. It makes makes a whole lot of sense, I think. You know, and I think it's a really good way for artists and creators just to, you know, this is my idea, but it whether it's sold or not doesn't have any relation to the value of that piece and that idea. So, yeah. Well, yeah, we'll see how it works. Yeah, we had this conversation, but also as like from the point of view of an art curator, I also have the same dilemma. I really, I'm, I don't, I ha, I've always been having this idea, which I don't know whether it's right or not. But for me, one thing is art and one thing is the art piece. I keep telling this um, everybody really is like, 
you know, even when I translate this, even when I curate art shows, I put like for me, there is a room, you know, where I showcase or at least like I try to tell the story about the art. And then there are the art pieces, which is something different, which is sustainability it, for the artist. It's, you know, it's since when we invented the art market, but probably Medici, you know, back then they already invented like, okay, I am your patron. I'm going to pay you, but you have to paint my, my wall. Right. So it was, it's been like this, um, for a very long time, but I really agree that one thing is the art and, and one thing is the artwork. And it also comes to performance artists as, um, you know, like I was telling you this, for instance, like Ai Weiwei, he creates this, this performance with um, millions of porcelain, some flower seeds, because the art is that you experience what Chinese people were experiencing during the Cultural Revolution. So what do you say? I mean, how do you sustain that? And so what it sold in the end is just a bunch, like a bunch of sunflower seeds. Is that like, is that the art? So it, it really is a question that always is in my mind. And I totally understand that the idea, like the symbol and then the artifact is something very, um, very different. And it makes me wonder, though, what, what happens if you were to take one of those jars, you know, which are probably like, you know, a gallon size or maybe not that big. But what if you were to take one of those jars and then create 10 smaller jars filled with the same seeds from it? There's sort of this recursive nature to art, you know. So if we're thinking about the art piece, if we're thinking about art, we're thinking about the art piece. What comes after that? And to what extent can a symbol be a symbol for another symbol? Right. Or to what extent do we just need to leave it at the art and the art piece and just call it quits? But um, it's I think that's a good way of thinking about it. Ben, what is gold dust for you? I knew that was coming. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> let's let's go back to, to Kelly's Kelly's sort of metaphor and analogy. Now I I, I think a lot about how the inception of the name of this platform came from the bags, the, the canvas bags that held bars of gold, right? And how the gold dust had transformed them into objects of greater worth. And I think the proposition there is that all objects and all people have an inherent worth. And sometimes they're a little bit harder to see, sometimes they're hidden behind veils. You know, as we talked about earlier, I feel like digital artifacts are have this thick, glossy varnish that keeps them from accumulating that history of their interactions. It keeps them from accumulating an aura that is obvious, that is intrinsic, that is that has an integrity. The digital is designed to be reproducible. It's designed to be different than the physical. But NFTs, and that's what's so interesting about this platform, it take the digital one step further toward the direction of the physical, but in a way that, that I think has, has great potential, which is it allows the objects to accumulate that history, to develop an aura in time. So in the same way that the work that I'll be sharing tries to hold in reverence or respect the, uh, the, the inherent value or the inherent worth of the technology, of how the technology sees the world with an appreciation for its flaws and idiosyncrasies, 
and in so doing capture the aura of the act, the performance, as we were talking about, of going into nature in order to find my nature, so too do I hope that by minting this work, in essence, affording this photographic digital sculptural artifact the ability to have an aura, gives it the chance to accumulate dust, to grow old, to be something that I leave behind that can wear with me in time, beyond me, perhaps. So I feel like the gold dust, that's what's left when we step away. And that's what's that's what an object carries with it when we're gone. So that's what gold dust means to me. It's it's really in reference to the aura that we afford these objects or the, the capacity to create, accumulate aura um, and the ability to, to create their own existence, right? Because if I have an old photograph and it's old and worn and sort of ripped and torn at the edges, it becomes a new photograph, a new kind of photograph, a photograph of the people who held it over generations. It's not just about the people who are depicted, but it's about the history of all the generations that came before, that have cared for it, that have kept it. And, and that's what I feel like is so important here. It's about giving the opportunity for digital artifacts to carry an aura forward into the future. Thanks again for joining us on the Mint Goldust podcast, and especially thank you to Ben for taking part. Ben is one of Mint Goldust's eight Genesis artists, and he's creating a piece based on the theme of Goldust that will premiere at Mint Goldust's launch. You can find out more about Ben at bensnell.io, more about Mint Goldust at mintgoldust.com, and you can always follow any of the social media pages for current updates. Thank you again, and we will see you on the next one.